It is wonderful to be back. And uh, thank you for John for covering for me uh, for last week. But uh, it is good to be here. And um, great to be here also in this configuration. It just feels so much more like we're together again. Having all that separation before, I'm sure it wasn't nice for you out there. And it didn't look good from here, I can say that. But it's wonderful to be back together again and to continue in this, in this series that Pastor John began for us. And it's titled Jesus the Game Changer to the Ends of the Earth. Now before this series we looked at the early church. We looked at the book of Acts. We looked at how the, the early church gathered and, and how they went about that. And we did that because it's so easy to get distracted in the midst of COVID and the situation that has been. It's so easy to get caught up in so many other things. But the reality is that our purpose, our mission has not shifted. It has not changed. And so we come and we... We're reminded again, we focus our eyes on who Jesus has called us to be and what he has called us to do. You see, this series explores uh, the lives of many who risked everything. Once Jesus returned, many who would go and share the good news, going to the ends of the earth, who would go to their neighbour to the ends of the earth. Heroic people who would take the game-changing news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Jesus' mission to share his love and good news with all people has now been passed on to us. The baton has been passed. It is in our hands. God wants to unleash the capacity of every church to participate in this mission. Not just to get comfortable and and cosy and retreat and put up a fortress to hide away from the world, but to be an influence. And to be able to share the good news and the love of Jesus Christ with the world and the community around it. And we've all been given that ability. We've all been given gifts to be a part of this community and to share the good news with those around us. Sometimes we need to be reminded. Sometimes we need someone to look us in the eyes and to say, this is your story, this is a part of your journey too. And we started this series Ending the last one, Pastor John shared about the heart of Christ, the great commission to go to all corners of the world to be, to be witnesses, comes from the very heart of Christ. It comes from his love for all people, to redeem them and to restore them to himself. So this mission comes from the very heart. It's, it's God's own heartbeat. It's his passion. It's his desire to see people come and draw near to him. As we draw near to Jesus, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we draw near to him, so our priorities start to shift. So we change and, and we seek to do the things that please God. And so we also want to share this good news that we have come to understand. Looked at the commission of Jesus' last words being our, our priority. The last words that Jesus gave, of course, are important very important, the very last words that he gave. And so they're our very first priority in life. And today we will shift our focus and continue this idea. And we're going to look at our new identity in Christ in the midst of this, looking at Paul and the early church. Our new identity in Christ, which compels us to be his followers and his witnesses in our world. Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. We looked at that over Easter. Jesus redeems people. He wants to transform them again. He wants to save them and then shape them, shape us to be more like him. I'd like to invite someone 
Rather than just to say that, I'd like to invite someone to come forward and uh, to actually share a little bit of their story, to actually share about their faith in Jesus Christ and what difference he made in that person's life. So I'd like to invite Chris to come on up. Give him a clap. It's not easy to get up here. Good work. Grab a seat, Chris. Oh, he's a comedian, isn't there? Well, it's a, I'm going to need a microphone. Can I just unplug that one? I'm being told, pointing. Got COVID wipes. <laughs> there you go. That's right, I'll, I'll put a mask on. <laughs> I just, this is more nervous, actually, than standing up and singing for you all, quite funnily. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine for a moment, and all of you, I want you to imagine for a moment, we're in a lounge room, you know, they're sitting back, there's a couch here, maybe in a cafe, and we've got coffees. Okay. We can do this? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But we're here just to have, I guess, a conversation and to hear a little bit about your story, Chris. And people may have seen you, I guess, as you lead worship from time to time, play, you know, uh, guitar as well and bass. Uh, but wonderful to actually hear a bit about you and who you are. So I wanna, I've got three questions for you. The first is simply, when and how did you come to faith in Jesus? Yeah, um, luckily Wally gave me the questions first so I could think about them. Um, and I guess my story is probably a little bit different to uh, a lot of people that maybe may, might sit up here and tell you of a, um, you know, a rough and ready past and, um, and hatred for God and, and things like that or just complete disbelief. But mine, from, from a very early age, I've always, always believed uh, in God and always believed in Jesus. And uh, I remember at the age of 11, you know, I'd, I'd read my Bible and I wanted to build an altar in my backyard because I thought that was the thing to do. Um, an altar. An altar. Well, you know, in the Bible, they, they keep building altars. And, and I was like, oh, I've got to build an altar. Um, so I've always kind of had a passion, um, you know, for, for, for God for my entire life. Um, and I guess the... The, the challenge around that is that um, I, you know, I can still look at my life and say, man, Chris, you made a lot of mistakes. You know, you made a lot of errors. You made, you know, sometimes you look back and go, look, look at that nice path of destruction of this man that knows, that, that believes in God, that understands God, that, you know, not, maybe not all understands God, but, you know, looking at, looking at life, and I guess it kind of leads into question two about, you know, the, the impact that Jesus has had on my life. So, I, you know, I have to think about this long and hard because the, the questions you don't really ask yourself. So, you know, my, my parents were the best parents. I, I think we can probably all sit here and say, yes, my parents were the best parents either. Um, my, my father was, uh, you know, involved with drugs, went to prison, did all that kind of stuff. And, um, and he, he was adopted and he never knew who his father was and, and he had a bit of a a hard streak about him and there was lots of rules and I used to think that God was like that that you know so hence building altars because this is what you're supposed to do and um, and I always kind of viewed God as being very hard and you know very strict about you know Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin because we're all terrible milk, guilty nasty sinners um, and you know when you do wrong that's you know uh, and so I would spend my, spend my entire life um Wanting to, wanting to know God, but then making a mistake. And then, I guess, with our... This is why 
this is why I was nervous because I knew I was going to do this. Um, you know, you make a mistake and then you feel so bad about it, you'd actually run away from God. You know, like when you make a mistake with your parents or you do something bad, you, you know, you hide away from your, your parents, like Adam did in the garden. You know, he, he was like, I don't care, I blew it. And so he hid. So I guess I spent my life running away from God. And the problem is, see, when you do that, you just end up in more trouble. Because, you, you know, you just start doing selfish things, you, you know, you, and that's, that's what I learned. And that's where the third question comes in about the hope. I'll just go sit over there. <laughs> he said five minutes. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I, as, I guess as I got older, so, you know, God was always calling, always calling, and I'd just keep running and running, and then I'd come back, and I'd run, and I'd come back. And, and, and of late, I've learned recently that, you know, the heart is deceitful and wicked. You know, we are... We are Broken people. Broken people. From, from Adam right through. And it's out of our brokenness that we do all those things that are wrong. You know, we are selfish. I know, I'll put my hand up here. We're selfish. You know, we get angry because things don't go the way we want them to go. You know, and, and it can be as simple as, you know, we're up here on the stage and the song's not going exactly the way I want to go, so I get frustrated. And that's because it's not going how I want it to go. You know? Whereas if I think, how does God want this to go? What does God want out of this situation? Because it's not, it might not be what I want. You know? Um, with, you know, with my wife, you know, you get upset with your, with your spouses because they're not doing what you want them to do. Rather than letting just, you know, they are who they are. And I am who I am. And so, that's, that's the amazing thing about God's grace is that he knows, and of course, you know, Psalms this morning, just we're like cutting right through to everything that God knows who we are. The, 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 the bare bones, the, 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 the nastiness, the selfishness, and all of that, and he knows it and he understands it, and that is why Jesus died on the cross. To save us from ourselves. And so we need to look at others in the same way and say, you know, you're not doing what I want. But maybe I need to look at it and say, well, what is God doing in this situation? How do I need to be? I need to love others as God loves me. With grace and humility. And that's, that's what I hope. That's, there's, there's, there is my hope. And the fact that you know, and if, if you want to talk about my life history um, at some stage, by all means, I'm happy to share that with you. I've learned that God is always there. And he's not, you know, and I, I try to change my life. I try to do all the things. I try to be a good boy and make sure I just don't do this and don't do that. But it's not until I really allow God to change what's in here that all those other things actually fall into line. And when God changes my heart, then I'll live a right life. And that's my hope. Keep trusting in him. And he will just keep changing me. And then, and it's never going to finish. <laughs> it's never going to finish. But God, it just, you'll get better all the time. Thank you, Chris. Put the mic back.
Thank you very much for coming, Chris, and sharing. And that's, that's not easy to do. So thank you for being vulnerable with us and for being willing to come and share that. I almost feel like I can just put this away and let's go with that. There, there's some good words. And thank you very much for that. So when we come here each week and we talk about this, and we talk about the truths of the gospel transforming us, they're just not nice words. God is working in the lives of people to shape them, pursues people, pours out his love upon them. See, when we place our faith in Jesus, when we have an encounter with him, we discover this, that we are given a new identity in him. It's not just a new way of thinking, not just a new set of beliefs or rules to follow, an altar to build, let's say, but when we have a real encounter with him, we're transformed inside out, discover that we have a new identity in him. And we see this in the life of Jesus in his baptism. Before Jesus started his public ministry, and what I mean by that is for nearly 30 years, Jesus lived quite a normal life. He grew up in a family, he was a carpenter, he, he worked a trade. And at about 30 years of age, where he began his public ministry, is baptised and then launched into that ministry. I'd like to read that passage for you. Can you click forward for me? I've got no clickability up here. Just, yeah. Oh. You have to click all the way to the left. It's gone to the end. Don't you love technology? It's been on our click left, left, left as many times as you can so that people can't see what's going on. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Keep all the way to the beginning. It's at the end for some reason. Go at the end. Here's the message backwards, okay? So if you... (laughs) Keep going, keep going, keep going. There we go. Now go forward for me. (laughs) One more. Our theme. One more. One more. Yeah, there we go. Here's the passage. We could have just opened our Bibles, couldn't we? That would have been a lot easier. Go to Mark, chapter 1, verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptised him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is a really unique passage in Scripture. One of the few that shows the Trinity of God working in its fullness. We see Jesus... We see the Holy Spirit descending and we, we see the Father calling out. But what does the Father say? That's what's important here. He says, you are my son. You are my son. He's identifying Jesus Christ as his own, as the very son of God. It's the most public way that Jesus is identified at the very begin, beginning of his ministry. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him to empower him to go out and to live his life as the son in, in that identity. Here, he is affirmed as the very Son of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that seals this new identity. And so it is for us, as we come to faith, as we give our lives to Jesus Christ, as we pass through the waters of baptism, following the example of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit empowers us also, so we can go and live our lives for him. But as new people, 
And we don't go just trying really hard because it's the thing we really need to do because I feel guilty about this. No, we go empowered by the Holy Spirit. We go with a new passion that's blazing within us, inspired by Jesus Christ. We embrace our new identity in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. We see this. We, we touched on the life of Paul in the previous series. What's unique about our time here today is when I spoke about Paul previously, we looked at his life and some of, I guess, his example, some of the ways he lived his life. Today, I want to actually see what he preached. What was the message? What was the actual message that he shared with people? Because we see an amazing transformation in the life of Paul, in the life of Saul. Same name, sorry, different names, same person. Who was Paul? I'd like to show you uh, through this series, uh, we're going to interweave a number of clips, a series of clips from some um, theologians and some, I guess, experts, some, some people have studied this far more than I have. And we're going to weave those through our messages each week. So I hope that brings a new angle for you too today. So this is the first clip I'd like to show you here this morning. And the question that's being answered here, so who was Paul? You'll have to go forward for me. What was Paul like when he was Saul and before he had that experience in Damascus? You would think you had come across a a religious fanatic as if he was uh, part of the uh, Judean version of Al-Qaeda. Okay, because this was a guy who, uh, who was uh, committed to the Jewish way of life, the tradition of the Pharisees. Uh, he thought he was pretty much blameless under the law. You know, he was, you know, he was excelling in the traditions of the elders. And he says he was filled with zeal. And zeal doesn't mean just bucket loads of enthusiasm. Zeal means a willingness to engage in holy violence, to protect God's reputation and to protect the purity and the sanctity of the people of God. He came to target one particular group, followers of Jesus, the Nazarenes, you know, the followers of the way, eventually they'd be called Christians. He targeted them because he believed they were a rogue cult. He wanted to completely nullify them as a movement. Now, whether that meant suppressing them, scattering them, imprisoning them, beating them, or in some cases, even killing them. Um, this was a guy who really believed uh, that the end justifies the means. Go forward for me again. Thanks. So there's Paul. Here's a man who was zealous to the point of killing Christians, so against the Christian faith that he was putting them in prison and stoning them to death. And yet he has an encounter with Jesus Christ and he's completely transformed. And what does he do? What does he do once he has this encounter? Move forward for me again. We read here in Acts 9. Immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying he is indeed the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. I love this. The people who knew him were saying, who is this man? 
isn't this the person going and persecuting Christians? And now he's actually preaching the good news of Jesus. You see, he begins to follow through on Jesus' last words. To do what? To be witnesses. From the very beginning of his life, from the very beginning of his transformation, what does he do? He goes and he starts to preach this good news that he now knows. He's now a witness to the very thing that he's experienced in his own life. And he goes and he starts sharing that with people. And if you follow his story, you will see right from the beginning that people were angry with him and wanted to kill him. It's one instance where they take him out of the city and they stone him. They thought he was dead. They were so angry with his message that they picked him up, took him outside the city, picked up rocks, threw them at him until they thought he was dead. We read that he didn't die, he got up and he goes back into the city and continues to preach the good news. The courage in him. Because he believed this. He, He wanted people to know it. He risked his very life to share this good news. He could only do this because of the transformation that occurred in his life and because of the Holy Spirit that came and empowered him to do so. He becomes the most standout character in the early church and one of the most influential for the church to come. So what was the key message that he spoke of? A man who's been completely transformed by Jesus. What are the key themes that he preaches in his life? Let's have a look. As we click forward, being really subtle with my, keep going. Here's the three messages that Paul brought to the early church. First is this, that Jesus came for all humanity. Jesus came for all people. And that's good timing because that's the clip we need to see right now. (laughs) So Tom, Paul, what did he write and say that was so significant for the time? Paul is, is absolutely the key figure in the emergence of the form of Christianity that, that, that the world today is the heir, heir to. Um, and his, the decisive teaching that, that, that he argues for and uh, successfully incubates within the infant church is the idea that Christ died for all of humanity, so not just for the Jews, and that the law of Moses, therefore, in a sense, has been superseded. So, Paul, in a famous phrase, says that there is no Jew or Greek. Mm. And this idea that difference is dissolved, that Christ has come for the whole of humanity, is a fusion of Jewish specificity and Greek cosmopolitanism. It fuses the idea that there is a a covenant that God, in a sense, has entered into a close personal relationship with with all the world. And this is a, a, a fusion of Jewish and Greek ideas that in Paul's letters will have the power to shape and transform the world. We read these words in Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
You have all been united with Christ in baptism and put your faith in Christ. Like putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs in God's promise. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Key to this idea is that Jesus is for all people. And I say this, you might say, yeah, yeah, I I get that. But this was radical in that time, completely radical in a time where the Jewish people lorded over those around them. We're God's chosen people. You can come join us if you like, but you have your own sort of way of doing things. We're God's chosen one. But Jesus had promised, the prophets before him had promised that through God's chosen people, he would come and he would bless all nations, all people. And so through Jesus Christ, all people now are able to come to have a relationship with God. Paul's passion and his primary mission was to those who weren't Jewish, being a Jew himself. But he now goes in in this early time in Acts and he goes now and starts spreading the news to those who were non-Jews. He goes spreading this news that Jesus has come for all humanity. Now let's get personal on this because that's easy to say as a broad idea, isn't it? It's easy to say the good news is for all people, for all nations. Of course, I understand that idea. I understand that truth. But what does this mean? What does this mean for our everyday life? As believers who have a new identity in Christ, as believers who are pursuing the very heartbeat of Christ, how does this actually affect the way we live? It's easy to look at missionaries and to see what they do and to go, yep, that's, that's what it means to go and to spread the good news to, to all people. They're missionaries there, they're supported, that, that's what they do. We'll leave it to them. We can even go, uh, we can even support them, we can financially commit to supporting them and keep doing that. I'm not saying don't do that, they need that. But we can see that as our part, that that's my part in the great mission of God. I support missionaries who are out there spreading the good news. But what we're learning and seeing here is we're all a part of this mission. I may not be overseas, but I'm still called to be a follower of Jesus Christ here and to share and to be a witness of Jesus Christ here, wherever I may be. It's the same mission, it's just different dirt. It's a different place that God has called us to be. So how does this affect the way that we live? It means that every person that we come across in our lives is loved by Jesus Christ. Again, yep, I understand that. Now think for a moment. Pause and in the back of your mind, think about the people you're going to meet this week. As you leave here, maybe as you go home, maybe as you go to work, you go to school, as you're on a train, as you're on a bus. Think about the people in your life that you see every single day. Think about that person that you get along with. And when you see them, you rush over to them to say hi because they're always encouraging (laughs) and it's good to see them. Think about that person that you don't get along with so well, who you might even hate, who you walk around, who you choose to ignore. You may not say it, but subconsciously you do it. Maybe all of those faces that you don't even notice, that you just walk past day by day, you don't have time, you're busy, you're doing other things. Every single one of these people is loved by Jesus. Every single one of these people Jesus came for and died for. 
so that they may come to know him. Every person at our work, every person in our family, people we like, the people we don't like, they all need Jesus. And even harder still, what about those who think they don't need him? That's tough. Well, they need Jesus too. They may not know it, but they need him. So as we go out into our week, I think there's a simple prayer that we can pray. A simple phrase that can enable us to live our lives in this way as his witnesses. Simply this, Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. Help me to treat them the way that you have called me to. Like Chris said that before. I'm able to see, see people and just love them. I know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, to be gracious to them and to care for them. It's easy to say. Some people are very simple to care for. Some are very, very hard. Some so full of hatred that as you reach out, they just push you away. Still the prayer, how do I continue to love them? Pray for them. Be available. Share the love of Jesus with those in your life. This statement, Jesus came for all humanities, matters every single day of our lives as we meet with every single person and every single, uh, in every situation. It's come for all people. Can you come forward for me again, Jack? I don't know where you're up to. Because our next one is, you've gone all the way back. Come back. Come back. Oh, let's just, let's forget that thing. Just throw it away. Just get rid of it. I'm done. <laughs> hey, there we go. There's another one. If you go for, yeah, there we go. Oh. <laughs> write it down. That's what they're there for, by the way, so you can actually write down and follow along. Second is this. This is the other message that Paul brought, and probably the key one, that Jesus offers a new identity, not just a new behaviour, a new identity in Christ. And this changes everything. You see, Paul encourages the early church in all of his writings, these early communities, he encourages all of them to move towards Christ, not in regards to not in a way that says, change your behaviour, behavior, be better, be better people. God is holy, so, so, so be better, try harder. No, if you look at his writing, he's constantly trying to encourage them and to remind them that you are a new creation in Christ. Focus your, focus your eyes on him. He roots his identity in Christ. And he calls everyone else and encourages them to redefine their identity as those who are in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you could say, I am in Christ. I'm in him. All that he has done, he has done for me. And I'm not sure if you like the Jeunes, the Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, some of those letters. Some of my favourite. One of my favourite being the letter to the Ephesians, which is a, a church in Ephesus. Paul's writing to them to encourage them and to build them up in their faith. If you haven't read it or as a reminder, maybe go read it this week in your, in your quiet times. It's one of those books that's great just to sit down and read front to end. It's, it's, it's not that long. 
that in the first half, in chapters 1 to 3, Paul focuses entirely on new identity in Christ. Time and time again, he wants them to get this, this point. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity in him. He uses language like this. You have been adopted. You have been included. You have been brought near. You are members of God's household. You are heirs with Israel. He, he goes over and over again. He wants them to understand that they have a new identity in Christ. And then after all of that, he goes on to show how this will start to transform and to change behaviour. It will start to shape them. And it's a behaviour that comes from new identity in Christ. It doesn't work the other way around. Chris, you summarised my message beautifully. (laughs) He said, I just used to just try to do good things and I'd fail over and over and over. It wasn't until I realised the problem was here. It's exactly how Paul presents this. The problem is here. The problem is with our identity in him. See, transformation in Jesus Christ comes when we come and accept and see the new identity we have in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the next slide. It says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. This transformation occurs when we accept Jesus Christ as we accept the new identity that we have in him. Let's get personal on this one too. Because Jesus just doesn't offer a new way of thinking or behaving. He doesn't just say, here's a good idea. He wants to do a complete transformation in your life wants to restore you back to himself. He doesn't want to just be another aspect of your life. Yes, I do all of these things and and, and Jesus is one of them. I I add that on, I I tack it on because I do that on Sundays, that's a good thing. I like soccer, like church. Jesus wants to take us and completely change us. He wants to be the very centre of everything. He gives us a new identity. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're restored in him. And yet, it's so easy to focus on behaviour, isn't it? Chris said it. I tried harder, I tried harder, I tried harder to please God. I tried to modify my behaviour. I tried to strive all the harder. But the good news is that when Jesus calls us to come to him, he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. John spoke on this a few weeks ago. The primary call is to come and find ourselves in him, to find rest in him. And it's as we do so that we discover who we truly are and that starts to change the way we go about things. It's from this place that our actions and our behaviour will start to fall into place as we seek to live lives to honour and to love Jesus. Our deeper issue is not our behaviour but our position with Christ. This reminded me of um, some accidents I had. I I had two serious accidents uh, growing up as a young person. I go go into them in detail but I, I hurt my neck. And significantly, both times I walked away from the doctor and the doctor said, uh, you should be in a wheelchair. So both incidences. Um, and the second was in Kyrgyzstan, failed backflip attempt. 
straight on my head um, and within two hours couldn't move my head. In the back of Kyrgyzstan, look it up on Google Maps, it's in the middle of nowhere. We're also in a camp uh, for kids at a campsite miles away from cities, um, so no medical help whatsoever. Luckily, we had travelled with a medical team. Isn't that good? It's handy. So I got some free treatment while I was there, but when I came home, was really having struggles with my neck. This was the second accident. It just sort of inflamed the first. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't turn. I couldn't move. My neck was locked. My mates used to stand beside me as a joke and say, hey, Wally, because they knew I'd have to do this. You know, so, and they'd stand just behind me, sort of like here. So I'd be doing this and they'd run over there. And so like, they thought it was really funny. But it wasn't great for you know, a 20-odd-year-old. So I started to get treatment. I went and saw a chiropractor first. Anyone been to a chiropractor here? Hmm? Anyone here wish they had never gone to that chiropractor here? About half of the hand, see that? Chiropractors manipulate your spine and your, you know, your bones back into position. And so my neck was, was stiff. And I went and got a few treatments and then the treatment was sit down, they'd grab you in this headlock thing, sort of like this, and click my head to the side in a jerking motion. And, and as they're about to do it, they'd wrap their head around your neck and your head like this, and then just before they do it, I used to laugh at this every time, they would say, try guess what? Relax. I'm like, I'm here because my neck won't relax. That's why I'm here. And with this big jerk, and often it wouldn't happen the first time because it was just so tight, and it finally go crack. I'd still, I hated it. For about an hour or two, it would actually work. He put it back into alignment. And all the bones lined up again and I could, I could move it again. I could move my head around. But within an hour or two, it would just stiffen up again. I did that a number of times and it just wasn't working. And finally someone told me, you're seeing the wrong person. You're causing the symptoms, not the issue. So I went to see an osteo. Anyone seen an osteo here? Oh, who knows that they're far better than chiropractors? Now, I'm going to get in real big trouble. If you're a chiropractor, you do wonderful work. <laughs> it just wasn't what I needed at that time. Because what was happening, because of the injury I had sustained, I had hurt ligaments, and all the muscles in my body were doing this. They were holding tight, holding me, holding me stiff so that I wouldn't hurt them. It was like my body was protecting itself. And so just putting things back into alignment wasn't working because the moment that happened, all the muscles tightened up again and pulled me out of alignment. I went to see an osteo and guess where they start their work? On the muscles. See, my issue wasn't a, an alignment issue. You can see a chiropractor if that is your issue. Mine wasn't. It was all the muscles and everything else my body was doing to protect itself. And so a lot of money has been invested in this neck. <laughs> But over three years, starting at visiting twice a week, and over three years, just bringing it back, bringing it back, I can now move my head again, which is great, because it was a top few vertebrae that sort of stopped moving. And you know why it worked? Because of the issue. It was the very cause of the issue that was, was worked upon. A long story to say this. We often focus on our behaviour. We'll, we'll work it. We'll force it. We'll do all that we can to get it right and to get in alignment with God. It's us. We do the work. Paul is saying, no, forget about it. Come to Jesus. Focus on your identity in him. Understand who you are in him and everything will start to work itself out. 
Not straight away, similar, over time things start to change, things start to transform, habits start to shift in us and, and drop off. Our life starts to be transformed. Paul is saying this, focus on your identity in him, not on your behaviour. Focus on the source of our spiritual problem. And that's this, it's not that we do bad things, it's that we're broken. We need to be restored. We do that as we come to Jesus Christ, as we accept him for who he is, as we offer our lives to him. That's one of the key messages. Here's the last, as we keep going. The third message that Paul brought is that the message of Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything. Now, in a secular society in the West, we take this for granted. We forget that our our very way of life has been fashioned by the good news of Jesus Christ. Our values, our welfare systems are based upon the fact that we believe that all people should be cared for equally, that all people are valued, that every single life is valued, that it means something. We believe in things like justice. We believe in freedom. All of these ideas are sourced in whom? Jesus Christ. We live in a society that's been shaped on the value system of Jesus We may not be a Christian nation, but we live in the after effects of a nation that has developed its legal systems, its welfare systems upon the truths of Jesus. It seems to be shifting away from that. But these things now in the West that we value have actually come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I speak to many people who aren't believers and it's often hard to grasp because we just... I guess we take it for granted that this is the way that it is, but it is not like that in other parts of the world. Life is not valued. In India, where you may believe in karma, for instance, or you're living out the effects of previous lives, you're getting what you deserve. And so if you're in extreme poverty, well, you're just living out the life that you deserve. So welfare, how does that? It doesn't come into play. We live in a, in, in a world that's been completely shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ. We forget that our individual faith changes communities, societies, nations. We think of our faith as a personal thing, but the way we live our lives shapes and influences the people around us. I mean, look at this, this, this group right here, right now. If you have a look around, I can see you all. <laughs> if you have a look around, you'd, you'd see a group of people, and let's be quite honest, who wouldn't normally meet if it wasn't for the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. We've got people here from different nationalities and different people groups that would hate each other otherwise. Their nations are at war. But under the unity of Jesus Christ, we sit together and we worship together and we're able to love one another. We come as a group of people and when someone's in need, we sell things or we give of the money that we've earned, we give it away to help people. That's a radical concept for many nations, that we would sacrificially give up what we have earned to bless people around us. These things come because of Jesus Christ. I can remember doing the, uh, the marriage course. I do a marriage preparation course with, with couples who are preparing for marriage. And there's a section that looks at and asks the question, you have two people who are about to get married, okay, sitting in a room, 
Look at them and simply ask, why are you getting married? It seems like a really simple question. It's really hard to answer. Beyond, because I love them, I want to spend my life with them, that's nice, comes out of a romance novel, maybe a movie, anything more? Often I get blank stares beyond that. It's just, uh, I guess it's an expression of the love that we feel like. That, that's, that's where it sits. Straight after this question is this question. How does your marriage affect society at large? Think about that. How does your marriage affect society at large? That's an interesting question. Have you ever thought about that? How does your family as your family unit, how does that affect the society or the community in which you live? And it's a really hard one, I find, for many to answer. Because we don't think of our own lives or our love for one another, or even our family unit, let's say, as affecting society at large, do we? But think about this. Every single person in this community, every single person on this world has been born into and raised into what? A family be it dysfunctional, be it healthy, be it whatever it may be, every single person is influenced by the family in which they were raised. Every single one of us. And so something that seems so simple changes the world around us. Our society needs healthy, loving examples of husbands, wives, single mums, single dads, raising kids on their own, doing it tough. People, families who love Jesus Christ and want to live for him. People who are committed to loving Jesus, committed to one another. This influence changes the society in which we live. I want to finish with this, this quote by Mark Knoll. It says this. Now, this is Mark Knoll quoting sociologist Rodney Stark, who's now at Baylor University, has made this very persuasive and interesting thesis. Early Christianity spread, yes, because the message was effective. Yes, because the person of Jesus was attractive, but perhaps most because Christians were simply there in a not very well organised, not too systematic way. Christians were simply there to do acts of kindness, humanity, Outreach in situations where Roman culture did not smile favourably on that kind of person-to-person, group-to-group outreach. I love that. Christianity took hold because simple people who loved Jesus just lived it out wherever they were. They loved the people around them. People living out of that new identity in Christ, loving the people around them. So today can you do with these words? Firstly, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, do it. (laughs) Do it. And if you haven't been baptised, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you haven't been baptised, I want to encourage you, consider exploring baptism. Come talk to me. I'd love to take you through an exploration of what that means. Because that step is that step where you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's that step where you find your true identity in him, where the Holy Spirit comes like never before, and empowers you to live for him. Otherwise, focus on Jesus and who you are in him. 
when the evil one comes and says, change your behaviour, change your behaviour, feel guilty because of your behaviour, turn your eyes to Jesus and look at him. Realise again that yes, I might be broken, but I'm loved. (laughs) Yes, I may have failed, but Jesus loves me still (laughs) and empowers me to go on. And pray to be a witness wherever God has you. Wherever you may go, wherever you may be going today, tomorrow, pray that you can simply live out your faith in Jesus Christ. Because the little things make a very big difference. We're also going to come to communion and share in this time together. Apologies, I do see the time. I got very excited today. But I hope you can (laughs) bear with me, stay with me here. We're going to finish with this time together. And why is this important? If you don't have a communion cup, we've got people on standby. Just hold your hands up and we'll pass one out. You know why this is so important? You see, when the disciples came and celebrated the Passover meal with Jesus, he reminded them that he would die for them, that he would give his life for them. And often we come to communion and we're reminded of that. And that's good. We come, we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. This morning I want you to be reminded of who you are in Jesus. I want you to be reminded that you are loved, that Jesus loves you so much. And then it's that love, as we read in 1 John 4.19, that we love each other because he first loved us. I pray that as you look at Jesus Christ, you're reminded of him again, that he will launch you, that he will encourage you to go and to love those around you the way Jesus loves you. Because the death that he died, the life that he lives, was for us but for, and for all people. Now in this world, that's not easy. That's why we come together to pray, to be empowered week by week. That's why we need each other. I want to pray for these elements as, as Jesus did in the, in the Gospels. Father, we want to thank you for this little wafer and this cup. So simple. They contain such a profound mystery and truth. So as we come, Lord, as your followers, we are reminded of the way that you died for us. The way that you came and you shed your blood for us. And Lord, may this wafer represent your broken body and this this juice represent your blood that poured freely for us. As we come, we are reminded of your amazing love for us. As we come, we pray also that you would inspire us, Father. Build in us a passion to share this good news that we know with those around us, Lord, in word, in deed, in everything that we do. Lord, as we sang in the song earlier today, let all my life tell of who you are. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.